everyone. Can you please stand with us? In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come, we gather together to lift up your name, to call on our Savior, to fall on your grace. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come, we gather together to lift up your name, to call our Savior, to find your grace. Hear the joyful sound of our offering as your saints bow down, as your people sing. We will rise with
Amen, amen. This is the word of the Lord from 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. While you're standing, take a moment and welcome those around you. All right, if you will return to your seats, you may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We are glad that you are here uh, to worship with us today. If this is your first time, uh, we're glad that you're here. Uh, thankful that you're here. Just to, thankful for the opportunity that we have just to love on you and to pray for you and to encourage you any way that we can. If this is your first time, uh, there's a couple ways you can let us know that. One, there's a QR code in the bulletin that you can scan, fill out some information about yourself, or there's a card out there at the welcome desk that you can take a moment and fill out. Um, please let us know. If there's a way that we can pray for you on your way out, introduce yourself to me. If there's a way that we can pray for you, encourage you, help you anyway, please let us know. We uh, would like to do that. Um, if you got your bulletin, there's a lot of announcements, a lot of stuff that's really important that's coming quickly. So I'm going to fly through some of this stuff because I want you to know about it. Number one, be here tonight, 5 p.m. NBC's Got Talent. It's a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of different acts we're going to do. We got some MCs to kind of guide us through it. And so uh, you want to be here for that. We have a finance team meeting tomorrow night at 6:30. So for those on the finance team, um, this Wednesday our normal Wednesday schedule resumes, and that's Praise Makers, uh, our choir. They'll be meeting in here at 6.15. That's kindergarten through fifth grade. If you're younger than kindergarten, we have Team Kid for you. That's down the hall. Uh, we have prayer meeting for adults and the youth meet as well. All that is on Wednesdays. Upward, a lot of people came through the last two weeks. We're maxed out. We got a coaches meeting this Thursday. So if you're coaching, helping, please be here for that. Men's ministry breakfast, we do this once a month. 
It's this um, Saturday, and the topic, pornography. It's pornography. So, men, I want to challenge you. Be here 8 a.m. Let Steve, let somebody know so we can make sure we got plenty of food. But I would love to see the fellowship hall packed um, as we work through that. Awana, so our normal Sunday night schedule starts next Sunday night. That's Awana, first night, 525. Parents, grandparents, if you bring your kids we're asking you to stay for a short meeting. We want everybody to stick around for just a few minutes so we can go over some things. There's an announcement in there. Um, we also have our Sunday nights. David Masden is going to be leading a study through Revelation. Several of you asked if this was a one-night study, like all of Revelation in one night. No. He's going to be doing this over several months until he finishes the book of Revelation. We are in the process of trying to figure out a way that we can record that. And then either Monday or Tuesday after that, get that uploaded where you can watch and be able to hear. You may not be able to hear some of the questions, but David, if a question is asked, can repeat that and you'll be able to hear. Uh, but if you're interested, if, if you, I know a lot of you serve on Sunday nights, you can't come. It's a way for you to still follow along. If you're interested in Revelation, that's at 6 p.m. on Sunday night, starting on Sunday. Love for you to come. And then we have our deacon elections if you have not voted yet for our deacon nominees you can do that right after the service in the fellowship hall before we read our praying the scripture and pray uh many of you have already heard um some have asked uh but last night one of our students a senior uh nathan um and his mama has given me permission to share was in a car accident um having seen the pictures that the surgeon told uh, Mama, Miss Tracy, this morning uh, that he was insanely lucky based on the accident he had. I disagree. He was being watched and protected by an almighty God. Um, and, and Tracy alluded to that. And so just be praying for him. Um, it could have been so much worse. He does have a fractured sternum, some ribs, uh, the wings of the spinal cord, all that has to heal on its own. He did have to have surgery. Uh, to have his spleen removed because there was some internal bleeding, um, be in ICU a couple days, probably at Grady for a week, and then looking at some rehab. Uh, so all things considered, um, God was watching over him and protecting him. And so we do want to lift him up. He is one of our seniors. Uh, they've been members here for a, a while, and so I want to pray for him. Before we do that, there is one verse I want us to focus on, and that's Psalm 108, verse 12. Oh, grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. The salvation of man is vain. Whether we're talking about saving our souls or whether we're talking about saving ourselves in a situation, so many things are beyond our ability. And it's in vain if we try to do them on our own. But salvation belongs to the Lord, and so we lean on Him. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Fathers, this verse is before us. Lord, remind us that vain is the salvation of man. Lord, if anybody here is lost, an unbeliever, has never given their life to you, has never responded to the gospel by repenting of their sins and believing upon the name of Jesus, the mediator between God and man, Lord, they cannot save themselves. They're not good enough. They're not wise enough. They don't have enough willpower to do that. So God, we're asking you, to do what we already sang about, our God saves. So God, right now, through this worship, through this sermon, through the special music, save them, draw them to yourself. Father, every single one of us 
in this room is going through something. Some, it's small, for some it's massive. And Lord, we're trying to navigate through changes, navigate through new seasons of our life, different seasons of our life. And Lord, in each of those, God, we have to choose. Are we going to respond in fear? Are we going to respond in faith? Dependence upon God. And so as I heard Brother Ron pray earlier today, Lord, what we need is your presence. What families who are grieving the loss of a loved one need is your presence. What Tracy and Nick and Nathan and Elena need right now, God, is your presence. Your presence in that ICU room, just gratitude that you were present last night. Nathan protecting him, watching over him. Thankful that you got Miss Tracy home from Florida early this morning without any problems. You were with her through all of that. We're thankful for your provision, thankful for your protection. But Lord, we do continue to pray for your presence going forward. We pray, God, for Nathan as he's in his senior year. Like, this is supposed to be an exciting year. In these next couple months, Father, it's going to be different. It's going to be an adjustment. Lord, we pray for quick healing. We pray for strength. We pray for a positive attitude. Father, we pray that he'll be determined, God, to do what he needs to do. And Lord, we pray that there will just be a heart filled with gratitude. A heart filled with humility, God, that you are once again showing yourself faithful. Sustain this family. Help us as a church family to know how we can rally around them and help them in the days and weeks ahead. And Lord, in moments like this, there may be lots of questions. Lord, only you can provide the answers. Only you can provide the strength that they need to work through those answers. So Father, be what they need to be. And as the choir is going to sing, oh Lord, remind us in all things that it is well with my soul. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done for us, all that you will do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand? Let's continue to worship together.
choir and bill amen it is well with my soul all right at this time our kiddos are going to make their way out to children's church both our younger and our older groups everybody else if you'll take your copy of god's word and turn to esther chapter four esther chapter four there is a lot to cover here and so we're gonna we're gonna do that this morning so Buckle up and, and hang on, and we're going to move through. We're going to move through it. Decisions, decisions. I read this week on the internet, and if it's on the internet, it has to be true. And there was multiple different articles, so I'd take that to be true, though it seems absurd that the average adult makes about thirty-five thousand choices. Not a year, not a month, but a day. Then on a daily basis, you make 35,000 choices. If you take away seven hours for sleeping, 
I don't know if you make very many choices when you're asleep. That leaves about 2,000 choices an hour. Now, most of those choices are small and inconsequential. Like, how many cups of coffee do I drink? One or two cups. How many times do I hit the snooze button? Once or twice or five times, depending on how hard it is for you to get up. Do I shower or brush my teeth first? Or when you're replacing the toilet paper roll, does it go over or under? Oh, there is only one choice and it is over. And if you're doing it under, you're doing it wrong, right? Uh, so, right, we all have these choices. We all make choices. And some of you, just the way you're wired, like you love making choices. Some of you are like me, and you don't like making choices. In fact, if you come to me and say, hey, pastor, let's go have lunch this week. Where do you want to go? I'm going to say, I don't care. Where do you want to go? Because I don't even want to make that choice. I don't like making choices. But the reality is we all have to make decisions. And in our text this morning, Esther is faced with a great decision. What is Esther going to choose to do? Now, here's where we're going this morning. Four points. I'm going to give them to you up front. Number one, we're going to take a moment and we're going to look at Esther, her decision. Then we're going to see Esther, her faith, which basically kind of just gave away point number one, the decision she makes. But Esther, her faith. Then third, Esther, her responsibility. And then lastly, Esther, her intercession. So that's where we're going this morning, so you'll know when we're getting close to done when I get to point number four. So first thing we want to see is Esther and her decision. Just a quick recap of where we are, because we covered verses one through nine of chapter four last week. So this edict has been issued under Haman, who has the authority of the king, that all the Jews in the provinces here are to be killed, destroyed, and annihilated. Mordecai, along with many Jews, get word. Mordecai puts on sackcloth, he begins to put on ashes, he begins to weep and mourn, he begins to fast. He goes to the king's gate, because he knows in going to the king's gate, Esther, who's in the palace and cut off from the people, her servant, somebody will eventually get word of this and take it to Esther. And so that's what happens. Esther gets word of Mordecai's mourning, that the Jewish people are going to be destroyed. She sends a change of clothes. Hey man, why don't you change, why don't you stop doing this? He says, no. Um, and he gets word to her, right, as to what's going on through this, this mediator, this guy, Hathak. And what he says to her, and it's obvious she doesn't know because she's cut off, is that this decree has been issued. He's got a copy of the decree. And remember, Esther's a Jew. She's just concealing it. Nobody knows. Mordecai's a Jew. That the Jews are to be destroyed. And what he wants her to do, and we finished off here, is he wants her to go before the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And that's what we're going to pick up, verse 9, Esther and her decision. So let's work through some of these verses. Verse 9, then Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. This guy has a really important job. It's one job, and it's this. Deliver the message accurately. He doesn't need to give his interpretation he doesn't need to give his thoughts. He is simply to take the mess message from Esther and deliver it faithfully to Mordecai and vice versa. He's just the messenger. And so he's going from Esther to Mordecai. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, 
except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I've not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So this is the message Esther sends to Mordecai. Esther's reminding Mordecai of what he already knows. In fact, it says all the people know this. And it's simply this. You, male, female, does not matter who you are. You cannot go into the king's presence uninvited and unannounced. You must have an appointment. You must be called. And if you go in unannounced, you're going to die. Earlier this week, I was at the doctor's office doing my annual physical. Praise the Lord, everything is good. And while I'm sitting there waiting, because that's what you do when you go to the doctor's office, you wait, two people come in. One lady walks in. She's a little, little huffy puffy. Like she ain't happy. She's like, I've called multiple times. I need a TB test for work. I need it as soon as possible. Um, so I need this done. I've called, left messages. And so the lady, the receptionist says, ma'am, you haven't talked to me. And guess what she said? You can't get a TB test today. You need an appointment. I wanted to say, ma'am, I know where you can go to get one without an appointment, but it's not here in the doctor's office. She has to have an appointment. Then an older gentleman walks in, and he's clearly distraught, and I get it. His wife needs some medicine. It's on the way through Express Scripts, but she, it won't be here for three days. He needs some. The receptionist is very sweet, taking down all the information, what medicines, and then she says this, because he walks in and says, can I see the doctor right now? So she takes all that very nicely, and then she says, hey, I'll give this to the nurse who will talk to the doctor, and the doctor will call it in. The answer, no, you can't see the doctor right now. That's what an emergency room or an urgent care is for. You have to have an appointment to see the doctor. In a much greater way, you had to have an appointment to see the king. And so Esther reminds Mordecai that to enter the king's presence without being summoned means death. Now, she does offer a very small glimmer of hope because she does say that the king can hold out this golden scepter and the life would be spared. The king could show mercy. But what do we know about this king? If anything, he is not merciful. And we know that. So the odds, right, of the king being merciful, it's slim. It does not look like this would go well in Esther's favor. And so look what else she says. But as for me, I've not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So she just wants Mordecai to know, listen, Mordecai, if you think I'm coming and going and talking with the king and sleeping in the same bed as the king, you're wrong. I've not seen him for 30 days. It's the interpretation from that. The king's already moved on past Esther. He's still married to her, but he's probably got other women he's seeing on a nightly basis. This king is not faithful. She says, I haven't even seen the king in 30 days, and you're asking me to do this. Now, Mordecai gets word, and then he sends word back. Verse 12, and they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And here's the verse we all know, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So Mordecai sends word back, and this is his basic argument. Listen, Esther, either way, you're in danger. 
Yes, I know what I'm asking you to do. Yes, I know that if you go into the king's presence unannounced, it might mean death, but you also need to understand that you are a Jew. And yes, you've been concealing it up to this point because I've told you to, but eventually they're going to find you out. You will not survive this. Somehow, someway, word will get out and your life is in jeopardy. So here's the reality for Esther. She basically, the way it looks right now, has two choices. Death or death. That's before her. Go into the king and risk death. Or say nothing and hope nobody figures out, though the king will have ways to figure out, and eventually she'll die. Mordecai says, you do nothing, your family, your line, it still will perish. So Esther has a decision to make. Here's the decision. Who will she be? Up to this point, she's been able to have two identities. Royalty, Persian queen, and concealing the fact that she's a Jewish woman, part of the covenant people of God. Karen Jobes in her commentary writes, Esther seems caught between the Gentile world of the pagan court and the Jewish world in which she was raised. Joyce Baldwin writes, Esther's dilemma is at some time the dilemma of us all. Circumstances hem us in and demand that we commit ourselves to act courageously and exercise faith. What will Esther choose? Will she choose fear? That if I go to the king, it's almost certain death, so I'm going to do nothing? Or will she choose faith? Will Esther continue to identify as the pagan queen? Or will she, for the first time, since she's been in the, the, the kingdom, will she identify herself as the covenant people of God, the Jewish people? What will Esther decide? So here is Esther's response. This is point number two, and this is Esther chooses faith. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king. Though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went, went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Now listen, we don't know how much time passes here. I don't know if this is all in one day or multiple days. But Mordecai is waiting for a word, and Esther decides, with everything before her, she decides, I'm going to identify with the people of God. She chooses faith. She chooses to listen to Mordecai and to go before the king. But she recognizes, she recognizes she needs more than just human courage. Human courage isn't enough to make this choice. Because what she's doing is her concern is shifted from her own safety which is where it was. I'm not, I can't go in there. You know what you're asking me to do? From her own safety to now the safety of God's people. And so she makes this choice. And she recognizes she cannot do it in her own strength. So what does she do? She tells Mordecai, go gather the Jews, whoever you can find, and begin to fast on my behalf. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. And we talked last week in Scripture, when they're fasting, they're usually what? Praying. It doesn't mention that here, but no doubt they're praying, seeking the face of God, asking for his favor. She needs the prayers, she needs the support of others, and she chooses faith. Now listen, in this context, faith 
means you follow God even if you die, even if you perish. If going to the king on behalf of her people, whom God had made a covenant with, means she dies in the process, she's willing if it means that some, somehow her people can be spared. She's willing to follow God in faith. In, in my old Bible, um, I've got written two definitions for faith. Faith, and both of them play off the words F-A-I-T-H. So faith, definition number one, forsaking all, I take him. Faith, forsaking all, I take him. Esther is willing to forsake the royalty. She's willing to risk being the queen. Because what happened the last time a queen rebelled against the king? He banished her. You're not my queen anymore. She's willing to risk it all to follow God and to identify with the covenant people of God. Listen, when we respond by faith in Jesus, putting our trust in Jesus, what we are saying, hear me, is we are forsaking all to take him. When you come to Jesus in faith, it's not Jesus, I believe in you, but I'm bringing these other things too. Because I really feel comfortable holding on to these things. No, we are saved by grace through faith alone. So we are forsaking. Now, that doesn't mean you abandon and walk away from everything. Though Jesus may call you to abandon and walk away from a lifestyle, from certain friends, maybe you will have to abandon some things. But you're saying, Jesus, you alone can save, and all my faith is in you. But here's the other definition. Feeling afraid, I trust him. She is willing to risk her own life because of faith. She's afraid, no doubt, I'd have been terrified. She probably was terrified. And as we see going forward, the plan she puts into place to meet with the king. But she chooses to trust him. Listen, every one of us in this room at some point, right, we've been dealing with fear. We've been dealing with anxiety. We've been dealing with concerns. In that moment, what do you do? We talked last week. Do you run to God in dependence upon him? Whatever God right now is calling you to do, and at the end of the service, I'm going to challenge you to make a decision. Whatever God is maybe calling you to right now, however he's asking you to step out in faith, you have a choice. To put your yes on the table, say, yes, God, wherever, whatever I'm in, I'm trusting you even though I'm terrified, or to say, no, God, not right now. And that choice is up to you. You've got to choose her faith. But let's go to point number three. And once we understand this, we're more likely to say yes to God. And that is Esther and her responsibility. Esther and her responsibility. Now, I love, I love verse 14. We all know the last part of verse 14. For such a time as this. Like, we know that. For such a time as this. For such a time as this. I want us to lay alongside each other two incredibly massive, important things. God's sovereignty, and stick with me, and man's responsibility. I had a pastor early on tell me, you need to recognize that in the scripture, there is a divine tension between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. I think it was Spurgeon that said, they're not enemies. You don't have to reconcile them. But there is a tension. In our finite minds, how do we understand God being in control, sovereign, ruling, reigning, and yet we are responsible for our choices and our actions? How do we, how do we put those two alongside of each other and understand them? And so what we see in verse 14 is we see Esther's responsibility, but before we get there, Mordecai makes a statement. Let me read it for you, verse 14. For if you keep silent at this time, 
Listen to the confidence in which he says this. Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Mordecai is absolutely convinced of this truth, that his God made a covenant with his people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God made that promise. And so when the edict comes out that God's people are going to be killed, Mordecai, though mourning and grieving in his heart, is like, oh, no, they're not, because I know my God, who's steadfast and faithful. He's not going to allow them to be destroyed. So he says to Esther, listen, you can step up, you can let God use you, but if you don't, he will deliver us somehow, some way. That is Mordecai's confidence in God. That God is in control, his purposes will be accomplished. Brothers and sisters, that's our hope. That God will save and deliver his people. This, brothers and sisters, is what you anchor your soul to. In the hardest of seasons, in the roughest of waters, your soul is anchored into knowing that your God is still in control. He's sovereign, but that does not negate Esther's responsibility. So what is Esther's responsibility here? Let me be clear. It is not to deliver the Jews. That's God's job. God's the one that made that covenant. God's the one that made that promise. Esther didn't. God did. So God will deliver them. God will rescue them. So what's Esther's responsibility? It is simply to be obedient, to obey God and do what he calls her to do. So church, let's make sure everybody understands this. God is sovereign. He alone saves. Let me be clear. It is not up to you or me to save anyone. It's not. If it is up to me, Then when I stand behind this pulpit Sunday after Sunday, my confidence is when I preach, you will save yourself, I quit. I've been in ministry long enough to know people don't save themselves. If it's up to you to muster up the strength to say, hey, you know what? I think I should repent today. I think I'll stop living in sin and follow Jesus. Nobody's getting saved. If I step up here Sunday after Sunday and I preach a message and it's up to me to persuade you, I can't live under that burden. Because nobody, I am not smart enough, wise enough, persuasive enough to save anybody. When I stand behind this pulpit, my soul is anchored in the fact that I have a God who saves and he still saves today. Amen? Amen? And he will save. God will save. I don't have to save anybody, but I do have a responsibility to faithfully preach the gospel, to point people to Jesus. And in your life, You have a responsibility, not to save anyone, but he has called you to be fishers of men. He has called you to tell people and point people to Jesus. He has called you to make disciples. He's called you to do that. That's your responsibility. So the question is, will you be faithful? Will you be obedient? Are you available? Now we're humans. And because of that, it's human nature to do one of two things when God calls us to do something. We're reading the scriptures, the spirit lays it upon our heart. One option is to go to the extreme of, well, I can't do that. I could never teach. I could never get up in front of people. I could never talk to a stranger about Jesus. I don't know enough answers. I don't don't have the ability. I have a horrible memory. 
I'm a, I've used this one, an introvert. I don't talk to people a lot. Like that's one, God knows, that's what Moses did, know, and he starts listing out the reasons. The other extreme is to overstate and overemphasize our importance. I am indispensable. Thankfully, I've never been a part of a church where we had church members like this, but I've heard the stories where a church member like threatens the pastor, threatens the church. Hey, if you don't do it this way, I'm leaving. And if I'm leaving, you won't find anybody to do my job. Listen, nobody in this room, I love you, is irreplaceable. I am not irreplaceable. Esther was replaceable. God could raise somebody else up, but he wants her to be faithful. This is his will for her. And so here's the deal regarding God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. Then we'll come to the last point. God's work will continue with or without you. His work will continue. God doesn't lose. If God this morning is calling you to something and your answer is no, God is not going to be in heaven going, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Like, I'm lost. You just told me, no, I've got no other options. No, you say no to God, he will still build his kingdom. You say, God, I'm not doing it, he'll find somebody else who will. God is going to win. But listen, if you disobey, if you tell God no, you're the one that misses out. You're the one that misses out. And every single one of us in this room probably has an illustration of a time you said no and you felt guilty about it. You wondered, what did I just miss out on? I wasn't obedient. Listen to Warren Wearsby. He says, if you and I refuse to obey God, either he can get somebody else to do the job and you'll lose the reward and blessing or, anybody relate to this, or he can discipline you until you surrender to his will. Either way, he'll find somebody else or he'll keep disciplining you until you say, okay, God, I get it. You're calling me to do this. God is sovereign and you're responsible to obey and trust him. A.W. Tozer, I think, has a good illustration. He compares God's sovereign purposes to an ocean liner leaving New York City bound for Liverpool, England. He says the people on board the ship are free to do as they please, but they aren't free to change the course of the ship. You're free to do as you choose. God has given you freedom, but your choices will not change the course of God's redemptive history. He has a plan to save. He continues, the mighty liner of God's sovereign design keeps its steady course over the sea of history. God moves undisturbed and unhindered toward the fulfillment of those eternal purposes which he purposed in Christ Jesus before the world began. And then Tozer continues, in the moral conflict now raging around us, whoever is on God's side is on the winning side and cannot lose. And whoever is on the other side is on the losing side and cannot win. Brothers, sisters, God is sovereign. Anchor your soul to that. and Just know he expects you to be obedient. He expects you to be faithful to what he's called you to do. And that leads us to the last point, and that is Esther and her intercession. God's people here needed a mediator. They needed somebody to go intercede on behalf of the Jewish people. Esther, not by accident, but by God's providence, is strategically placed to be that mediator. Here she sits, Persian queen, royalty, married to the king, King Ahasuerus, and yet she is a Jewish woman. Married to the king 
a member of God's covenant people. And what the king don't know and none of the people know is that Esther is a Jew. What the king also doesn't know is the people that he has just signed off to annihilate because he never asks Haman. He just, fine, kill whoever you want to kill. He doesn't even know. And yet here is Esther strategically placed for such a time as this. There is no one else in the kingdom better equipped and in a better place to go before the king on behalf of the Jewish people than Esther. And that's what the rest of the book unfolds for us. But here's what I want to do as we conclude. I want to point you to this fact. Esther, as a mediator here, is pointing us ultimately to Jesus Christ, who is our mediator between God and man, as we read just a little bit ago. You and I needed a mediator. For the soul that sins must die. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God is holy and I am not. And because I am not holy and God is, my sin cannot enter into the presence of God. So how can a sinner like me ever experience eternal life with a holy, righteous God? We needed a mediator. I couldn't go to God. And God in his holiness can't come to me in my sinful state. We needed a mediator, and that mediator is Jesus Christ, who is perfectly God and perfectly man, the only one who can be our mediator. He, God, takes on flesh, and he comes representing God, and in the flesh, he begins to represent man. He is like us in every way, except for a very important one, and that is he knew no sin. Knew no sin. He was perfectly righteous, and so he comes under the law and he fulfills the law and so he Jesus represents God to us and us to God he is that mediator and Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane says not my will but yours be done here's what Esther says if I perish I perish here's what Jesus says I will perish I will, per I will die for these people so that they, God, can be reconciled to you, Father. Ian DeGuide writes, Jesus wasn't risking his life. He was laying it down. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 says, But when the fullness of time had come. I wonder if we couldn't maybe translate that for such a time as this. For such a time as this, at just the right moment in history, God sent forth his son, born of woman, fully man, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. If Jesus doesn't perish, then we all perish in our sins. But Jesus is the mediator, the perfect mediator who comes and dies in my place. So hear me as we wrap up. It's decision time. It's decision time. Esther had to make a decision. This morning I'm calling you, each of us, to make a decision. Number one, will you turn from self and sin and turn to Jesus as Lord and Savior? Will this morning, right now, listen, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never confessed your sins, never turned from your sins, never repented of your sins, you need a Savior. You cannot save yourself. You won't save yourself. You are unable to save yourself. So right now, as the Holy Spirit of God, is working in your heart, as he's convicting your heart. Maybe right now your heart's beating a little bit faster. The palms of your hand are starting to get a little sweaty. 
and you're realizing for the first time, you need a savior. And apart from Jesus, you will spend an eternity in hell. So Jesus is calling you right now, calling you by name. But hear me, he won't force you to come. He'll take 99 steps, but you got to take one. You have to repent, you have to turn from your sins, and you got to believe in the name of Jesus. So listen, what are you going to do? Are you right now going to decide, Jesus, I'm in. I'm confessing my sins. I want to follow you. I want to give my life to you. I want eternal life in the abundant life that you offer. Number two, will you this morning trust the finished work of Jesus on the cross and identify yourself with Christ and his people? David Strait in his sermon says this, there is no belonging to the people of God while living like a child of the world. Look, some of you got to make a choice. You've given your life to Jesus. You made a profession of faith. But then you got this other life, this pagan life. Jesus has saved you, but you're not living for him as Lord. Just like Esther, you got two identities. And listen, that can only last for so long. And so it's decision time. If that's you, if you've got your foot in both worlds, hear me, Jesus is calling you to forsake it all and to take him. He's calling you to be all in right now to identify with the people of God. Hear me, be who you are, child of God. Be who you are. Live for Jesus. Give it all to Jesus. Take whatever sin is in your life and throw it down right now and say, Jesus, I don't want it anymore. Deliver me. Save me. Take these chains from me. I'm all in. It's decision time. How are you going to respond? How are you going to choose right now? Third, will you be obedient? Will you say yes to Jesus? Listen, men, some of you right now, Jesus has been convicting you. It's time, men, to step up and start leading your family. It's time for you to be the man that God wants you to be and start leading your family. But up until this point, you've given all sorts of excuses. You just haven't been doing it. But it's up to you. Will you put your yes on the table to say, Lord, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I want to be the husband, the father that my family needs me to be. So yes, I'll do it. Maybe the Lord's been convicting you lately of you need to start telling somebody about Jesus. You got to get more bold. You got to be more courageous. And every time the Spirit of God convicts you through his word or through a sermon, you're like, yes, I'm going to do it. And then you let Satan come in and distract you. Right now, will you just put the yes on the table to say, yes, Lord, take me, bring them to me. I just want to be faithful. I want to be obedient. Maybe right now, Jesus has been convicting you of some sin in your life. You keep rejecting, you keep resisting, you lay it down, you should take it back up again. You know there's sin, you know what it is, and right now the Spirit of God is just saying, hey, if you're all in, be all in. Take that sin and cast it out, repent it, let me heal you, let me deliver you, be all in. Will you say yes right now? Listen, maybe the Lord is leading you to get more involved at Northside. Maybe you've kind of been on the sidelines, and he's been saying to you, hey, I want you to serve. I want you to start giving. I want you to be all in. Maybe he's been leading you to join Northside and you've got some excuses or reasons why you're not sure and you just haven't made the phone call to say, hey, pastor, can we set up a time to talk? Or maybe you've been hesitant. You've been hurt or burned in the past. You're uncertain. Will you this morning just put your yes on the table? Listen, maybe God's leading some of you young men into ministry. Maybe he's been working in your heart leading you like he did when I was 12, 13 years old. 
And you just keep saying, ah, God, I don't know. I don't know if I want to be in ministry. Right now I'm asking you, will you just lay it on the table? Say, Lord, if this is what you're calling me to, I'm in. I'm all in. I will serve you wherever you lead. I'm all in. Brothers and sisters, maybe some of you, God's calling you to be a missionary. And you're trying to think, God, what's that going to look like? Am I going to have to go overseas? Like, I don't know. We have all sorts of questions, all sorts of excuses. Here's what I'm saying. If God's calling you, working in you, he's got this before you, you have a choice. Yes, God, I'm in. Or no, God, I don't think so, not yet. Hear me. God's going to do his work one way or the other. My prayer for you is that he doesn't do it in spite of you, that he does it through you. Because we say, God, I'm available. Is it easy? I'd love to have a conversation with Esther right now. To say, man, Esther, how hard was that decision? It's never easy to choose faith, but it's always the right thing to do. So the decision is yours. What are you going to choose? God has chosen to save you. Let's put our yes on the table and say, God, maybe for such a time as this, you put Northside here, you put me here, I'm all in. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, no one in this room, Lord, let's just be clear right now. No one in this room has ever perfectly said yes to you. We have all fallen short. We have all been disobedient. We have all chosen our selfish, sinful ways over you, Jesus. So, Father, first and foremost, we just say, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. Every one of us knows what it's like to walk out of a sanctuary, to walk out of a building, and have that regret and that shame of, oh, we said no when we should have said yes. God, thank you for being so merciful and so gracious to us. But God, right now we come to you, and we're asking you, Spirit of God, to do what only you can do. What only you can do. Only you can save. So God, if somebody needs to be saved, if somebody needs to give their life to Jesus, lead them to make that choice right now. If somebody needs... Lord, just to say yes to you when they've been saying no, lead them to make that choice right now. If somebody's got sin they need to confess, Lord, may they confess that sin right now. And Lord, here's my prayer. They won't do it alone. They won't do it in isolation. Because the minute they start to do it in isolation, Satan has them right where he wants them. It's so easy just to distract. So Lord Jesus, my prayer is not only will they make that decision to say yes, but they'll share it with somebody as soon as the service is over. They'll share it with the spouse. They'll go to their Sunday school teacher. They'll go to their parents. Maybe come to the pastor. But most of all, God, they'll come to you and they'll say yes. So, Lord, as we come to this invitation, this final song that we're going to sing, Lord, if somebody needs to come and kneel and pray, may they come and pray. If somebody needs to grab a family member or a friend by the hand and say, hey, come pray for me with me, Lord, may that person be obedient to respond to that need. Lord, whatever it is, May we say yes, and then empower a spirit to do the work you're calling us to do for your glory and your honor so that your kingdom can be built and expanded and furthered. And it's all because of your grace, and we plead for your mercy and grace in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. The altar is open. I'm available if you need to come and pray. You respond as the Lord has been working in your heart.
Amen, amen. You may be seated for just a moment. Let me just... Um, if, you, if the Lord led you to make a decision and you said right where you were, yes, let me just encourage you, please, share that with somebody, a spouse, your parents, maybe even a child. Sometimes they can hold us accountable really well. Share that um, with them. Just two announcements. One, um, so if you have not yet gotten your picture taken for the directory, or because it was so long ago, you think, hey, I would like a new picture because my kid looks older. Um, you can do that today right after the service. Uh, so Kelsey will be in there. So if you've not, you're a member here, you've not had your picture taken, you say, well, I'm not matching. It really doesn't matter. You're just, it's mainly like just your head that we're going to put in the directory. Let me say about the directory the online directory has been updated. It's good to go. That's what a lot of people use. If you don't know how to access that, just see me. We are still going to do a printed directory. This thing with printed directories, the moment we print it, it's outdated a day later. Something has changed, but we're still going to do that. Hopefully by the end of September, you can have something that you can put in your hands because I know not everybody can get online. But online, if you want to know through our rail map, you can get on there and see people's pictures, their information, how to get a hold of them. So we want to make sure you know how uh, to do that. Miss Alexa has an announcement about Awana, and then when she's done, Larry Chappelle's the Deacon of the Week, so if you'll come and pray when Miss Alexa is done. Don't forget about the talent show tonight at 5 o'clock. 